Good morning and a very special welcome to our online community. We're so glad that you're there today. I was, uh, just before I came up here, I was looking online and saw some of you even that are normally in here uh, vacationing. You went to the beach without us. What can we say? But you're tuned in, so we're glad you're, you're a part of that. Uh, good morning to all of you. Good morning, Justin. Good morning, Leanne and your family and all of you guys who are watching us online. Uh, God has something special in store for you and for all of the, those of you who are on campus. We're so glad that you're here today and on a, uh, a holiday weekend coming up, Labor Day. How many of you plan to actually labor on Labor Day? Anybody? Michelle was talking about her dad and uh, these days, these days that were holidays for him were work days for us. Uh, he would call us over and trick us. He said, come on over for a steak dinner, you know, for, we're, we're going to cook steaks for lunch or something good, ribs or something amazing, you know. And he was a great cook. He really was on the grill and, and otherwise. And uh, so we were excited to come over. We learned our lesson fairly early, didn't we? Because those always turned into work days. Now he says, I got some gloves for you. And, you know, we would be doing all kinds of projects. And a lot of times it was in the garden, uh, working in the garden, out in the hot sun. Uh, grateful that you're here, though, and hope you don't have to labor. Hope you can relax with your family and, and enjoy fruits of your labor and, and the things that God has brought into your life. Today's message, we're talking about, um, the title of the message is Let the Lion Out. I think you'll understand a little bit better early in the text as we read uh, from a uh, section of a sermon by Charles Spurgeon. But 2 Timothy chapter 4 gives us our anchor text, 2 Timothy chapter 4, we're going to look at, uh, beginning at verse 1. And uh, this is a passage of scripture, uh, verses 1 through 5 here, that is so a part of me and Michelle, and has, uh, we'll explain that to you a little bit later, it just has a depth of meaning that is difficult to describe, but it it is something that has... Um, forever described ministry, our ministry, and what God has called us to and, and done in us. But this is also a passage I think that we look over at times because we do think that, you know, this is a charge to ministers or to pastors. And uh, we, we miss the fact that it is a charge to the church of Jesus Christ and uh, that it is a calling to all of us to answer. Let's take a look at this passage, 2 Timothy chapter 4, beginning at verse 1. I charge you, therefore, before God and the Lord Jesus Christ, who will judge the living and the dead at his appearing and his kingdom, preach the word. Be ready in season and out of season. Convince, rebuke, exhort with all longsuffering and teaching. For the time will come when they will not endure sound doctrine. But according to their own desires, because they have itching ears, they will heap up for themselves teachers, and they will turn their ears away from truth and be turned aside to fables. But you, be watchful in all things, endure afflictions, do the work of an evangelist, fulfill your ministry. Heavenly Father, I come to you today with a sense of humility and gratitude, Lord, for what you have called me and what you have called all of us to. And God, I pray that wherever 
we have uh, got ahead of, of what you wanted to accomplish and felt that wherever I have as a, as a minister and as a pastor thought that the eloquence of words, the wordsmithing uh, of, of writing a message might in some way be more powerful and effective than just letting the gospel preach through the Holy Spirit, that you would forgive me, and that, God, that you would help us to hear the word, not only the letter of the word, but the spirit that brings it to life in these next few moments, that our hearts would begin to burn again, so as it was said of Jeremiah, that the word of God was in his bones, shut up as a raging fire. He was weary and forbearing, but could not stay. I'm praying for that kind of burning passion within each of us, that we might all understand that the gospel is not just a story, but it is a message of hope, help, freedom, Lord, and it is empowered by the very Holy Spirit to do a work in us and all the people around us that cannot be done lest we let it out. And we thank you for that, Lord Jesus, and we ask you to do that in us today in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. So I promised I would read a, a passage from Charles Spurgeon's message, Christ and His Co-workers, was the title of this message. And as I prepared for our time together today, this, this really stuck with me, and uh, I couldn't say it better than he said it, so I want to read to you what he said. A great many learned men are defending the gospel. No doubt it is a very proper and right thing to do. Yet I always notice that when there are most books of this kind, it is because the gospel itself is not being preached. Suppose a number of persons were to take it into their heads that they had to defend a lion. There he is in his cage, and here come the soldiers of the army to fight for him. Well, I would suggest to them, if they would not object and feel that it was humbling to them, that they should kindly stand back and open the door and let the lion out. <laughs> I believe that would be the best way of defending him. For he would take care of himself. And the best apology for the gospel is to let the gospel out. Never mind about defending Deuteronomy or the whole of the Pentateuch. Preach Jesus Christ and him crucified. Let the lion out. And see who will dare approach him. The lion of the tribe of Judah will soon drive away all of his adversaries. Amen. Amen. Wow. We could leave here today and say that was a great message preached. <laughs> Here we are with Paul and his young charge, Timothy, and Paul wants to make him aware of, keenly aware that uh, there has been a desertion in Asia of the church, that there have been those who have been turning their backs on the gospel of Jesus Christ that was preached, and to, sell, to let this young minister know that that will likely happen in his ministry. That from a human perspective, there was actually no guarantee that the fledgling church that Timothy is taking here was going to be sustained through generations. 
You have seen this throughout our lifetime that there have been churches that have arisen and had a season and then disappeared, no longer to have a presence. And there was no promise of that, and Paul was telling Timothy of this, and therefore it was crucial for Timothy to continue what he had learned and to become convinced of what he had firmly believed to be anchored in it, because he was actually going to be ministering in an environment that is not too dissimilar from the one you and I are living in right now. He was going to preach the Word of God in a time of absolute confusion, and particularly along the lines of two fronts, moral and doctrinal. Great deal of confusion and cultural disruption going on, and in a context where people did not know how they were supposed to behave, and they did not really know what it was that they were supposed to believe. And so, with the departure of the apostles and the transition from the apostolic age into the post-apostolic church, this is the setting to which Paul is giving Timothy this great charge. And I want you to notice that, first of all, in his charge in verses 1 and 2, is his challenge to Timothy. And then in verses 3 and 4, you'll see the opportunity for Timothy to let the lion out and preach the gospel. And then finally, you'll see in verse 5 the the character that, that is to be displayed in the midst of all that is going on in the cultural situation and time. He begins by saying, I charge you in the presence of God and of Christ Jesus. There's nothing casual and nothing inconsequential about the beginning of this charge. In fact, Matthew Henry says aptly that awed into the discharge of their ministry. This was the sense of like, I want you to understand, Timothy, that you are ministering in the very presence of God and of Christ Jesus, empowered by the Holy Spirit, and I'm charging you today, and they're watching over your ministry moment by moment. And so Paul reminds us, uh, his young friend, that he exercises this ministry with the Father and with the Son and, and with the witnesses, and that when Jesus comes in power, he will judge both the living and the dead. And that there will be an accounting for what Timothy has been called to do. And to the church that there will be an accounting for all that God has challenged us and asked us to do in obedience. And what he's actually doing is urging Timothy to live his life and exercise his charge in the very same way that Paul has done in his life. And because Paul lived in the light of of Christ's appearing, and he lived in the concept of an expectation of the consummation of Christ's kingdom, so Timothy needs to do the same as he moves forward with the ministry that God has called him to. And Paul lived his life in the light of the reality of the kingdom. He was an example in front of Timothy, and as Timothy looked at Paul. He saw that heaven was in him before Paul was in heaven. (laughs) The kingdom of God was in him 
before he was actually in the kingdom of God. And Paul wanted Timothy to understand these three things. The word of God accomplishes the work of God by the Spirit of God. The Word of God accomplishes the work of God by the Spirit of God. Paul wanted him to understand that it was useless to attempt to preach cultural neutrality. Paul wanted him to let the gospel lion out. It does not matter where that you go in the world, and I have traveled, I've been to different places, and I have found this to be true, that God chose the foolishness of preaching to save. And I have walked into hospital rooms, I have walked into the pulpits in other countries. I remember standing in the pulpit many times in, in Galatz, Romania, with thousands listening. And uh, as, as I stood up to the pulpit and, and began to take command of the situation and preach the gospel of Jesus Christ with the anointing over my life, that it was always true that people understood when someone was speaking with authority, the authority of Jesus Christ. Not just the stories or the TED talk that I have rehearsed or learned in my life, but with the very authority of God himself to his people. And people recognize that worldwide. Deuteronomy chapter 4, God says, gather the people, chapter 4 verse 10, gather the people to me that I may let them hear my words so that they may learn to fear me all the days of their life on earth and that they may teach their children so. And the Lord spoke to you out of the midst of the fire. You heard the sound of the words, but you saw no form. Read these last words with me. There was only a voice. Only a voice. There was only a voice. And, and, the, and Paul is telling Timothy, let us hear it. Yeah. Yeah. Let us obey it. And let us fear it alone. More than we fear cultural acceptance. More than we fear uh, being politically correct. Let us hear the voice of God, let us obey the voice of God, and let us fear the voice of God alone. I can never read this passage of Scripture without remembering, as I said in the opening, what happened for Michelle and I at the beginning of our ministry. There are levels of credentialing in the organization that is my home base and we had gone through uh, together those where first level was a certified minister, someone who believes there's a calling upon their life to enter ministry. The second was a licensing to preach level of ministry. And finally, to the day that I'm remarking of now, the day of my ordination. It was 1987 in Phoenix, Arizona in Valley Christian Assembly of God Church, my ordination service. The charge to the ordination candidates, the 24 that stood in the front of the building that particular day, and uh, Michelle and I were among that number. 
And the charge was read by our district superintendent at the time, Robert Seitz. The reason this passage of scripture is so incredibly um, etched upon our hearts and minds is situations like this and what took place here. The presbyters that were representative of your district that you were coming out of, your pastor, were standing in front of you, my district presbyter and my pastor. And Michelle and I standing here in front, our backs to the congregation, faces to the front, as our superintendent began to read this charge that we read today. The church was filled with men and women. That was another part of this that's so significant for us that had served in active ministry for years. People that we knew, we loved, we, we adored them, and their sacrifices were evident wherever they, they came from all over the state, representative in that body and in that group of probably that night near a thousand people. And it was, a, it was a part of that experience that so indelibly was etched upon our hearts and minds, this mighty army of God, the soldiers of the cross, people who knew us from in my case in particular, and in Michelle's case, very young, but in my case from, from a child. Some of them had held me and taken care of me while my parents carried out duties. These were people who knew us intimately, who loved us, and who were so grateful to see the call of God on our hearts and lives being answered in that moment. And as this opening chart was read, our district superintendent read it. I need to set it up by telling you that the Bible that I hold in my hands, this, uh, this Bible was in the hands of our um, presbyter and partially in the hands of our pastor. They're holding it. As he begins to read these words, I charge you, therefore, before God and the Lord Jesus Christ, who will judge the living and the dead at his appearing and at his kingdom. And as he read that charge, the room grew quiet. Each minister in that congregation knew exactly what answering the call of God would cost in each of these young candidates' lives. Not all of them would make it. Not all of them would succeed. Not all of them would have great futures ahead of them. The enemy would attack. He was certain to come against every single one of them and their marriages, their churches, and their calling. And at that, the superintendent's voice quivered a bit for a moment. He gathered his breath and raised his voice as he said, Preach the word. And when he said that, the presbyter and our pastor turned the Bibles and thrust them into our hands. Preach the word. And each of the candidates took their Bible back in their hands. He continued reading, be ready in season and out of season. Convince, rebuke, exhort with all long suffering and teaching. 
And then he read that last section of these words that so resonate with you and I in the day in which we live. For the time will come when they will not endure sound doctrine, but according to their own desires, because they have itching ears, they will heap up for themselves teachers. And they will turn their ears away from the truth and be turned aside to fables. But you, be watchful in all things, endure affliction, do the work of an evangelist, fulfill your ministry. And at that moment, he invited the whole of the congregation, all the pastors and the great army of God to stand up. And as they stood up, the presbyters stepped forward and pastors and laid hands on these candidates. And a great sound rose from that building as people began to cry out to God for these young ministers and their future. That they would let the lion out and they would preach the gospel uncompromised and in the face of all that we were facing in our hour and in this hour, that we would never water down to make it appealable to some ears, that we would never compromise what God is saying, but that we would just let the lion out and preach the uncompromised gospel of Jesus Christ. And it was in that moment, as that great thunderous crowd began to pray, that you felt that what I read earlier was happening. The words of Charles Spurgeon, that they should kindly stand back and open the door and let the lion out. <laughs> and this is how our ministry began. Setting the lion of Judah free to do the work in us and in the people that we serve. These words of Timothy are not just words for pastors and their wives. They are the essence of the mission for every single believer. There is no excuse in any of this for fearfulness or laziness. We are all called to preach the word. Preach the word when people are hostile. Or preach the word when people are receptive. Preach the word when people are tuned in or when they are tuned out. Preach the word when the prospect of Sunday is delightful, but preach the word when the prospect of Sunday is dreadful. Preach the word when the crowd is growing, and preach the word when the crowd is dwindling. In the awareness of the fact that by the very nature of Scripture, it will do what it does. It will reprove. Yeah. It will rebuke. Yeah. It will exhort. Yeah. It will, always be, it will not always be comfortable, but it will always be profitable. Amen? As Paul has said in verse 16 of the previous chapter, the charge is solemn. It is straightforward. It is the inerrant word, and it is to be preached, to be preached when the wind is with us, on all occasions, to be preached when it is against us. And to be preached patiently and carefully. And the reason that it's so important, Paul now sets it 
before Timothy in the charge in verse 3 and 4. And, and Paul's already been down the path. He's, he's made Timothy aware that many have swerved from the truth. In chapter 2, verse 18 of Timothy, he reminds him. And now he's going to exercise this ministry in the absence of Paul, and he's, he's faced with people who are turning away, and it's a, a dark season, a difficult season. And as you and I watch it in our lifetime, uh, begin to resonate again in the church, the word. I was telling my daughter before we started service, Maranatha, which means, Lord, come quickly. Yeah. And there is the beginning of this, but as that, as that begins to churn within the body of Christ, the essence of this call begins to gleam even more brighter for us. Everyone who's going to get in the boat needs to get in the boat, for the storm is coming. And it's time for us to recognize that as it was for Timothy. Timothy, preach the word uncompromised. What you're watching around you is the beginning of uh, a, a, a cultural change, but never try to fit this in. Just let the lion out. Just let the gospel be the gospel, no matter who believes it or wants it. Keep preaching it, because the kingdom is built on those who will obey and surrender and submit themselves to the lordship of Jesus Christ. I'm going to invite the worship team to come. This is no time for self-pity. It's an opportunity for us to stay steady, to face whatever suffering may come, to keep on preaching the gospel, to complete the task that's been set before us. We're surrounded by those who have become intoxicated with culture and in which, you know, they're living right now, they, they are just, they're, they're being captivated by culture and caught up in it both inside and, and outside the church, we're seeing it. And if you're tired of attending your arguments on social media, can I invite you to let the lion out? <laughs> if you're weary of waging political battles that end in loss and frustration and disappointment, can you just let the lion out? <laughs> if you have been tired of, you know, just exhausted with what all that's going on around you and you feel that you have in presenting truth painted yourself into a corner to where council culture is advancing can i invite you to continue to let the lion out <laughs> if you have a loved one who has slipped away from their faith and they're falling in love with the world can i invite you just to let the lion out amen if you're struggling in your faith because you have questions and doubts about things that are going on, then I invite you to open this book and let the lion speak to you. Let the truth of the gospel begin to shape what you believe, not culture, not experience, not perception, not idealism. Let the lion out. 
he said these words would not just be words on the paper for us, but as we begin to read them, they will become life, sustenance for us. He promised that when he said, man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word that proceeds out of the mouth of God. You're hungry, you're unsure, you're uncertain. Let the lion out. Let the lion of Judah speak to your heart. Heal the wounds. Take truth and plant it in you that you can live it out and walk in it. I want to invite you to stand with me. Lord, this is your people, both online and on campus here. In every way that we have failed to let you out in our own lives or in opportune moments where we could speak the truth, but we were afraid of what others might say. I pray that you would forgive us of that and give us the courage and the boldness to step back and open the cage and let the lion out. The lion of Judah, that we would preach the gospel even when it's unpopular. Lord, even when others may be rejecting it, even when it may cost us something or everything as it did you. Lord, that we would be those that are committed to letting the lion out. We're not Christians because we go to church. We go to church because we are Christians. We've been made again, afresh and anew. We are a new creation. People may be able to take our life, but they can't take our inheritance. They can't take our eternity. God, I pray that you would give us the courage to fear him who has power over body and soul. We would fear not letting you out more than we would fear letting you out. And that we would do so because we love, because we cherish you, because we want to be obedient to you. In Jesus' name.